BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump has done a, lot, done a lot of bad, bad stuff in his first seven months in office, but today he is about to do the worst thing yet. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Welcome back from a long weekend. I hope you enjoyed it to the fullest. Uh, and took time to uh, thank a union member for Labor Day, the big Labor Day weekend. It is now Tuesday, Tuesday, September 5. Great to see you. Thank you for joining us. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with all the news of the day, both uh, what's happening here in Washington. Congress coming back today. Watch out. Uh, Don't worry. They won't get anything done. They never do. Uh, news from Washington, around the country, and around the globe. We'll bring it all to you uh, and uh, give you our best opinion with the help of our guest today, Joe Cirincioni, our foreign policy guru, coming in from the Plowshares Fund to uh, talk North Korea. What are our options, if we have any, and what is going on? How serious a threat is it? Uh, John Allen from our co-author of the great book Shattered will be here as a friend of Bill to talk about a lot happening uh, on the uh, Trump front. Uh, we've discovered uh, the letter that President Obama left for President Trump, and we also heard about a letter that Donald Trump wrote uh, justifying his firing of uh, James Comey that was so red hot and radioactive that uh, his team at the White House wouldn't let him release it. And then we'll get the latest on Congress from Lauren Fox from CNN. Lots to talk about. Look forward to hearing from you at BP Show. Your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Hello, Bill. Just a couple of other nice stories three-day weekend, huh? for you. On this. It's a Tuesday, right? It's a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning. All right, here we go. Four-day week. We will begin with the latest on Hurricane Irma. Uh, yesterday, it was officially upgraded to a Category 4 storm. Uh, advisories have been issued for the West Indies. Two in a row. It's nuts. Yeah. Uh, the West Indies, the British and Virgin Islands, and Puerto Rico were talking life-threatening wind, storm surges, Torrential rain all expected today. It's now packing about 140 mile an hour winds, 
Florida has issued a state of emergency. We don't really know how it's going to affect Florida. We certainly have an idea of how these islands may be affected. And could get to Florida by on the present path by Sunday. Yeah, so scary storm there. Uh, fingers crossed that we don't see the same type of devastation that we saw with Harvey. Going to the state of California, Bill. Always got to wedge in some California stories Damn right. here. We're going to go to the city of Berkeley. They are considering amending their nudity laws to allow women to go uh, topless in public. What do you think, Bill? Would you, would you support this city well, council where? change in in the city of Berkeley in public? Uh, you mean even in stores on in private? That's a good side, question. On sidewalk? Are we talking about at the beach or what? We're talking at the beach. Private business oh. owners can still say you need shirt and shoes to come into their store, but in public, if if passed on September 12th when they go to a vote, you will be able. Women will be able to walk around topless in public. Now, I but, didn't know uh, this. Yeah, this is not. This is not clear. At the beach, fine. Sure. Fine. Otherwise, no. No, I think we're talking on the street, too. Like, I, I don't think it's just not restricted. Not even Berkeley's that crazy. To the, to the no, beach. not even Berkeley's that crazy. I didn't know this, but prior to 1994, it was legal. Uh, it wasn't until a Cal student showed up to class completely naked that they actually had to put a law on the book saying you cannot walk around topless in public. Uh, so, so yes, this could be a big change there for the city. Of or they're Berkeley. not going to do it. Not going to do, do it. All right. No. Uh, one, one final story here. You may have seen uh, yesterday Kate Middleton is pregnant. That's right. Kate Middleton and Prince William expecting their third child. She could be uh, up to six weeks pregnant as of now. I see they're already taking bets on what the name may be. We don't even know the sex of the baby, but we already have bets on the name. So we have George and Charlotte. And, George and Charlotte. Uh, and uh, a new little brother or sister coming along. Congratulations. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome uh, on a Tuesday, September 5. Uh, welcome back to the uh, real world after a long uh, three-day weekend. Uh, actually, there's nothing better than a three-day weekend, and that's a four-day weekend, which is what I enjoy. But at any rate, uh, it's uh, good to be back with you. We've got lots and lots to talk about because the news didn't stop while we were uh, kicking back. Uh, but welcome to the Bill Press Show this Tuesday, September 5, wherever you happen to be. In this great land of ours, we are there with you, uh, the progressive voice in the morning here in the United States of America, joining you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, joining you on Free Speech TV, part of the DirecTV network, uh, and it's great to be there with you, looking at you, and looking looking at you and looking to you on uh, Free Speech TV. And out in w in Chicago, WCPT, welcome the great progressive voice of Chicago. We are your morning edition. Uh, don't forget to check out our podcast. Our podcast, Jamie, is just taken off leaps and bounds. More and more people every day. So please go to the podcast. Tell your friends about it. You can listen to the entire show anytime during the day or parts of the show it's all up there. Take advantage of it and uh, keep building those numbers. Yeah, we set another record uh, this past <laughs> month in August. Very excited about that. We want to yep. continue to hit records as we close out uh, to, uh, 2017. So uh, make sure you rate and review the podcast. 
it'll help uh, more folks see it when they look around for political podcasts in Apple Podcasts. And, um, and you know, you go to BillPressShow.com and you can hook up uh, with the podcast or anywhere you find your podcast uh, on uh, iTunes or whatever. Yes, sir. Joe Sirincioni joining us from the Plowshares Fund uh, in the next half hour to talk particularly about North Korea. John Allen, uh, co-author of Shattered, uh, will be here to uh, run us through the morning news, particular uh, some of the um, the big challenge now that uh, Donald Trump is about to issue to Congress. We'll talk about that in just a minute, saying uh, we're going to end this DACA program uh, where we're going to we're going to throw it to you. We're going to throw the DACA program to you and have you fix it in six months or else the whole thing will collapse uh, and we will end it. Uh, and then with that challenge to Congress, uh, as well as uh, a challenge to do something uh, to prevent the government from shutting down and maybe something about tax reform, will they get to be able to do any of that? Lauren Fox from CNN will be joining us as well with all the top stories of the day. Uh, we start with just a little recap on Harvey. Uh, Donald Trump got a do-over. Uh, you know, he went down there Tuesday and... Um, alienated a lot of people and got a lot of criticism because he didn't say one. All he talked about was how big the hurricane was and how great a job he was doing. It didn't say one word about the victims, no expression of empathy at all. Uh, boy, if you saw him Saturday down there, it was all just love and honey. There was just, he just said, everything down there was, it was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I'm sure a lot of happiness. It's been really nice. It's been a, it's been a wonderful thing. It's as, tr as tough as this was, it's been a wonderful thing. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, I watched the news last night. I saw um, dozens of people um, digging out the mud from their homes, uh, piles of, of just debris that they were pulling out of their homes and putting on their front, front lawns and and dealing with all of that, uh, um, I didn't hear any of them say how wonderful. I, it was. I think if you ask those folks, even with a gun to their heads, they would not say it they was would wonderful. not say it was a wonderful uh, time. No, no, no. But uh, for Donald Trump, all he did was just, just, he was just, he was just surrounded, lots of no misery, no suffering, lots, lots I think of it's love. Great. Just a message that uh, things are working out well. Mm -hmm. uh, really, I think people appreciate what's been done. It's been done very efficiently, very well, and that's what we want. We're very happy with the way everything's going. A lot of love. A lot of love. A lot of love. A lot of love. And uh, the water is just uh, it's just disappearing in front of your very eyes. The water, says Donald Trump, is disappearing. There's a lot of water, but it's it's leaving pretty quick, uh, pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Leaving pretty quickly. Uh, that's not exactly what the uh, governor of Texas, the little grip on reality, is telling people, Governor Greg Abbott. If I understand it correctly, uh, to rebuild Katrina uh, was over $120 billion. And when you consider the magnitude uh, of the size of this storm, it's far larger uh, than mm -hmm. Katrina. And, and both geographically and population-wise, and when you look at the number of homes that have been mowed down and destroyed uh, and damaged, uh, this is going to be a huge catastrophe that people need to come to grips with. It's going to take uh, years for us to be able to overcome this challenge. Uh, going to take years? No, not according to Donald Trump. According to Donald Trump, the water's already disappeared. Everything's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. There's a lot of water. Yeah. But it's it's leaving pretty quick, uh, pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, and meanwhile, as uh, Jamie told us at the top of the hour, uh, we've got Hurricane Irma heading our way as well. It looks like 
Big story of the day, and we're going to talk more about this with Joe Sirincioni, but just a very quick recap on North Korea. Um, yes, since Donald Trump said, I respect the fact that North Korea now respects us and they're listening to us and they're not going to do anything stupid. Uh, since then, they have fired off six missiles in response to Donald Trump, including an underground test over the weekend, not firing off a missile, but an underground nuclear test over the weekend that may have been, they claim, we're not really sure, may have been a hydrogen bomb. It is certainly the biggest, biggest bomb that they have ever exploded. Uh, very scary. And reportedly, they are preparing another long-range missile firing this weekend uh, to celebrate the big anniversary of the founding of the Republic of North Korea. And all we have heard, of course, from Donald Trump and from the administration is more tough talk, more saber-rattling, more menacing threats uh, that, uh, okay, if you don't like the sanctions we got there now, we'll crank it up. Uh, st- and and it's, it's everybody through the administration, even the Secretary of Treasury, Steve Mnuchin, whom is the last person we ought to trust on foreign policy, says, uh, I'm putting together, yeah, sanctions tougher than ever. This behavior is completely unacceptable. Um, we've already started with sanctions against North Korea, but I am going to draft a sanctions package to send to the president for his strong consideration that anybody that wants to do trade or business with them would be prevented from doing trade or business with us. Uh, this is um, this has been echoed by Donald Trump. Of course, what he is saying is again pretty clear: cut off trade. We will not do. We will not trade with anybody who is in any way trading with North Korea. Of course, North Korea's number one trading partner is China. In effect, uh, Donald Trump, after uh, this bromance with President Xi down at Mar-a-Lago, and then telling us we don't have to worry about North Korea because China's going to take care of it, now he is saying we're going to have a trade war uh, with China. Uh, This two days after he said we're also going to have a trade war with South Korea. So very, very smart. Yes, very smart. Right. When it looks like everything's going to blow up on the Korean Peninsula, uh, Donald Trump is not only attacking North Korea, he's attacking South Korea, and he's attacking China all at the same time. And again, the saber-rattling continues even on the part of the Secretary of Defense yesterday, James Mattis, who is the, he is the one calm head in this whole discussion, who came out of the White House after meeting with the president uh, to, to talk to reporters there at the stake opposition in the West Wing driveway, talking about a massive military response. Any threat to the United States or its territories, including Guam uh, or our allies, will be met with a massive military response, a response both effective and overwhelming. Now, of course, what's troubling about that, I mean, look, I, I think Matt is certainly as a calmer uh, approach to this than Donald Trump does. I think we can trust him more than Donald Trump, not to just be trigger happy, but uh, he says a massive response... In, Massive response uh, to a threat. Now, does the threat mean they actually fire a missile off toward Guam or that they are capable of firing a missile off? There, n- nobody knows. They don't, they don't even know what they're talking about. And the one who has been um, the, 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 the quickest to adopt the tough rhetoric is former governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley, now our U.N. ambassador, who says... Uh, Kim Jong-un is just begging for war. His abusive use of missiles and his nuclear threats show that he is begging for war. 
Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, we've been down this road. There ain't no more road left. War is never something the United States wants. We don't want it now. But our country's patience is not unlimited. We will defend our allies and our territory. And, right, defend our allies and our territory, Nikki Haley. And then she did go on to say, uh, we've been down this road. There's no road left. What does that mean? What is left? You know, I think um, we talked about, I talked about this yesterday on CNN. Um, we'll talk more about it again with Joe Sirianzoni. Uh The fact is there are no good options in North Korea. The reality is, despite the best efforts of President Clinton, President George W. Bush, Barack Obama, North Korea has proceeded at a pace we never would have guessed uh, to develop nuclear weapons. They are now a nuclear nation. Uh, I never thought I'd hear myself say this, but I think, you know, uh, it's time to bring back Henry Kissinger, get him back wow. to work. Wow. Or um, Bill Richardson, somebody who's got some negotiating skills. Uh, and I say Kissinger because Kissinger negotiated the end of the war in Vietnam, which we lost. Well, we've lost the war with North Korea, too, in the sense of propaganda war. Despite all of our talk, despite all of our threats, they have succeeded in developing a nuclear capacity. I think we have to recognize that, and the choice is now a serious talks with North Korea and Japan and South Korea and China and the United States to restrain and contain uh, their nuclear power rather than think that they are ever going to uh, reverse it. We'll talk more about that again with uh, Joe Sirianni. But today, we can expect the president to do something. You know, he's done a lot of bad stuff. Think about it. Uh, as president, a lot of dangerous stuff, pulling out of the Paris Accords, reversing our um, new open policy toward uh, toward Cuba, um, undoing all the climate change steps that uh, Barack Obama uh, ha- had taken. You can go on and on. But the worst, the worst, I think, of his seven months will be what Donald Trump reportedly will do today, uh, he's not going to do it himself, by the way. He's going to have Jeff Sessions announce that the Trump administration is calling for an end to the DREAMers program uh, instituted by President Obama, of course. A DREAMers program whereby 800,000 young people uh, who were brought here by their parents when they were children, who did not choose to do anything illegal, who in fact themselves have not broken any law, that we are going to end the program which allows them to stay here uh, without fear of deportation, to apply for a work permit, work permit rather, uh, and to really help in building uh, this country like other so many uh, millions of immigrants before them uh, have done. A Trump administration says they're going to end that program, uh, and they're going to, but, but they're going to delay the end of it for six months and throw it to Congress to see if Cong- and if Congress so that if Congress fixes it within six months, fine, adopts it, makes it a whole legal program, not executive action, fine. But if not, the whole program will disappear, and all of those eight hundred thousand wonderful young men and women, women, women will be subject to deportation, which of course Jeff Sessions will be more than glad to do. Uh, will be chomping at the bit to do. It is an immoral policy, if you ask me. It is an insane policy. But Donald Trump 
is is uh, is um, is determined to do it. Now, this despite the fact. And by the way, here's the thing: they try to sell this on the part of the White House, right? As this is part of Donald Trump's. He's only doing this with love. Yeah. In fact, um, uh, Sarah Sanders at the news briefing on Friday says, you know, this is a president. He, he's acting out of love. The president's priorities on immigration are to create a system that encourages legal immigration and benefits our economy and American workers. Uh, the president's been very clear. He loves people and he wants to make sure uh, that this decision is done correctly. He loves people. He loves people. Yeah. In fact, Donald Trump on Friday even said he loves the dreamers. We love the dreamers. Yeah. We love everybody. Love the dreamers. This, this is consistent with what he said uh, back in 2011. Okay. Um, and I th- thanks to somebody at CNN who dragged this out. This is Andrew right. Kaczynski, uh, K-File, CNN. Thank you. Does fantastic Thank you. archive work. Yeah, right. Went back to, this is 2011, Donald Trump appearing on, on uh, Fox and Friends uh, and siding with Michelle Bachman, who was saying, you can't just throw these people out of the country. This isn't conservative. This is, this is compassion. Is it amnesty? Um, I guess to a certain extent, for a very limited number of people, it would be considered amnesty. But how do you tell a family that's been here for 25 years to get out? Yeah. Good, oh, good huh. question. Donald Trump. Yeah. He, uh, same year, 2011, he appears on CNBC. They've done wonderfully. They've gone to school. They've gotten good marks. They're productive. Now we're supposed to send them out of the country. I don't believe in that, Michelle, and you understand that. I don't believe in a lot of things that are being said. Yeah. They've done wonderful things, and we're going to throw them out of the country. That's the point. I mean, so again, for the white, what pisses me off is one, that they're doing it, and two, the way they're doing it. Trying to sell it as an ex- expression of the president's love for people and love for the dreamers shutting down this program. Bernie Sanders said it right yesterday at a, uh, a labor breakfast up in uh, New Hampshire. Here's exactly what this is. To end the DACA program is one of the most cruel and ugly decisions ever made in the modern history of this country by a president. Absolutely. So, number one, this is not love. This is cold-hearted. This is as cruel as you could possibly be. Number two, who, who the hell do they think they're kidding by throwing it to Congress and saying, well, we're not ending it. We're going to let Congress decide, and we're going to give them six months to do so. Congress has been, I mean, who the, uh, ah, Get so pissed off but, at this. But, but anyway. who the hell thinks that Congress? Congress has been dealing with this issue for 20 years. Really? And so now suddenly they're going to get their stuff together and fix it in six months? Congress can't do anything in six months. They can't even take call the roll in six months. Hell, the Republicans have both houses of Congress, and they couldn't even get enough votes, 51 votes, to repeal Obamacare. So you know, my grandmother used to use this phrase, too cute by half. That's what this is, too cute by half to think, oh, we're not doing it. Oh, no, our hands are clean. We love the dreamers, so we're not ending the program. We're letting Congress decide what they're going to do. Nobody's going to be fooled by that. Donald Trump is killing the dreamers program, period. And the other thing is, where I say it's immoral, I mean, here's my question. I got into this yesterday on 
that everybody was talking about the process yesterday on CNN. I finally just jumped through and I said, no, the question is not the process. The question is, is this the right thing or the wrong thing to do? It's the wrong thing to do. I mean, who are we as a people? Are we really, are we really going to punish these kids, if I can call them that, these young people, because of the sins or the of their parents? Is that who we are as a nation? And think about these people. You've seen the stories of them as I have and read about them. There are 800,000 of them. They are the best of America. They represent the future of America. They're in graduate school. They're in college. They're, uh, they have jobs. They're paying taxes. They serve in the military. They were among the volunteers who were out there rescuing victims of Hurricane Harvey. One of them, a dreamer, even lost his life. Alonzo Guillen. Yeah, Alonzo Guillen, 31 years old. 31 years. And part of that, he was out in his boat rescuing people, and the water swept his boat into a uh, highway overpass, killed uh, volunteering for that. They, they represent, again, the best of America, the future of America, and we're going to say they have to be all thrown out because their parents brought them here illegally. It is, it is so hard-hearted. I just can't believe it. It is, does not reflect who we are as people. And the other thing is, I, this is not the most important consideration, but what I don't understand is this is politically insane. I mean, if you look at the numbers on um, the Latino vote, right? The Latino vote, certainly the fastest growing demographic uh, in, in, in the country. Donald Trump got 29% of the Latino vote the last time, which, by the way, is two more points than Mitt Romney got. Go figure. He'll be lucky to get half of that the next time. Texas is 48% Latino right now. Probably the next presidential campaign is going to be a majority-minority state, like California already is. So what Donald Trump is really doing with this, with this, by the way, and also with the pardon of Joe Arpaio, Donald Trump is really saying the Republican Party is the enemy of the Latino population. The, Do- the Republican Party is the enemy of anybody with a brown skin. You know, set, set, aside how this will, set aside how this will affect the 2020 presidential election. Just look at how it could affect or the 2018 the midterms. midterms. Yeah. And we'll talk to Lauren Fox from CNN about this later because she covers Congress. But, you know, there's so much to watch for with Congress coming back this week. One of the biggest things that I'm going to be watching is... Are these Republican lawmakers going to cripple to the folks that they believe are part of Trump's base and perhaps in their districts? Or are they going to stand up and save their own reputations for 2018? Well, and by the way, um, on, on that point, tying those two points together. So six months from now, right? When does that put it? February 2018. Really? Congress, really? This is just a joke. Who would they think they're kidding? That in February 2018, Congress is going to have the balls to really stand up and do something significant about maintaining a Dreamers program? No, this is this is just outrageous. That's right. When Trump campaigns are going to hit the and, you know, hit the road. And remember again, don't don't fall for this. Oh, Donald Trump didn't do it, right? He let Congress decide. No, Donald Trump is the one who's making this decision. It is cruel. It is hard, wholehearted, hard-hearted. It is wrong. It is against everything that we stand for. We love the dreamers. Couple we of love other, everybody. Couple of other issues. By the way, uh, unearthed is a letter. You know, every president does this. Well, I don't know how long, how far back it goes. I doubt that George Washington did it, but 
Uh, it's become a tradition that the outgoing president writes a letter to the incoming president and puts it in the resolute desk uh, right there for the new president to read when he or someday she walks into the Oval Office for the first time. Uh, president Obama's letter to Donald Trump has surfaced, and apparently it's a letter that Donald Trump brags about, shows it to a lot of people, has has had, actually had copies made and hands it out to people, and so somebody handed one of those copies to CNN. Uh, and Donald Trump talks all the time about how much pardon me, he appreciates this letter that he got from President Obama. Well, it's nice that he appreciates it. I wish he would read it. Because President Obama, it is a very nice letter. And it says basically three things. Congratulations, you run a great campaign, and you're here, and we, and, and we all wish you well. It's a very, God bless America. It's a very positive letter. And he says, you know, there are three things, not that I could have anything to, to teach you or whatever, but there are three observations I have based on my time here. One is we're a, we are here uh, for a very short period of time, and so our priority really should be, a lot of us are doing well, but our priority should be to really help those people who are not doing so well who still have a lot of that ladder to climb before they really realize the American dream. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this Donald Trump just about to end the Dreamers program, totally contradicting President Obama's first piece of advice. Secondly, he says, uh, the president says that America's position in the world is so important. People look to us for leadership, and we have to exercise that international leadership around the world. Yeah, here's the president, right? who is allowing Russia to interfere in our election and do nothing about it, and a president who this weekend attacks South Korea and China uh, and anybody else who gets in his way, who has basically alienated most of our allies around the world by his bully approach to foreign policy. So ignore that piece of advice. And the third piece of advice is, you know, as we're only here again a short period of time, President Obama says, but we have to really respect and protect our democratic institutions. The rule of law. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. This, this to our guy. election systems from our Russia. election systems. Yeah, and this is a guy who has a voter who claims that three to four, five million people voted illegally without a shred of evidence, and of course, who just pardoned Joe Arpaio for violating the Constitution. Yeah, so much for so Donald Trump just has negated everything that's in that letter. That you know, President Obama wrote. You know, I know there's some conspiracy theories going around that Donald Trump can't read. I won't entertain that. But I will say <laughs> Trump has gone out. And even before we got the details of this letter, he has told people that the letter has, quote, complex and beautiful. Do you know what I think that means, Bill? What, what, that, what that means? That he doesn't understand. He doesn't, it. Uh, doesn't understand. He doesn't understand the key passages and the key advice yeah. that, that he could take into his presidency that President Obama is offering him. Uh, quickly, Jamie. Uh, yes. A little Peter update. Yes, yeah, he was. Uh, he's had a, a, Peter a great Ackburn, weekend. Of course, I believe he's watching right now. He's been retweeting the show account this morning. Hey, so. oh, all right, all right, Good morning, all right, Peter. Peter welcome. Uh, yeah, he he looks great. We saw him yesterday. He looks great. He's walking. He's around walking. He's getting outside. Got to, we got some sun yesterday. Yeah. Past couple of days, uh, it was great group of uh, friends and family around him, and uh, keep sending us your tweets of support for Peter. Keep sending Peter. Those tweets, uh, he loves seeing them. We love reading them to him. So uh, keep them coming. Peter's doing great. And uh, at hospital is taking great, great care of him. Uh, uh, we also brought him, though, some uh, non-hospital food, which he enjoyed, too. And, yeah, so 
Yeah, he's raring to get back, and you'll see him uh, before you uh, before you might even expect it. Joe Sirincione standing by from the Plowshares Fund. North Korea, what are our options? Do we have any? We'll find out. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Joe Sirincione. How do you tell a family that's been here for 25 years to get out? Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Here we go now on a Tuesday, September 5, uh, The Bill Press Show. Booming out to you live from uh, Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those good men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Cox, who keep our federal agencies running day in and day out. Uh, those would be most impacted by a government shutdown, which Donald Trump has promised if he doesn't get the funding for his wall. Uh, we hope that that does not happen. Uh, but we thank them for their support of the program and I direct you to their website at afge.org. Uh, yes, the rhetoric over the weekend about as red hot as it could be. What does that say about North Korea? Joe Sirincioni. Uh, our one and only foreign policy expert from the far- Plowshares Fund. We borrow him from the Plowshares Fund as often as we can. Hello, Joe. It's good to see you. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Uh, let's get some facts on the table first. Did North Korea <clears throat> test a hydrogen bomb? Yes, he, they did. What kind of hydrogen bomb is a little bit in question. Was it a full-up, what they call two-stage thermonuclear device, or was it an atomic bomb with a lot of hydrogen fuel in it? Still uncertain. But frankly, my opinion, they tested a full-up hydrogen bomb. This is well within their capability. They showed the model of it. It was the kind of model you would expect, the design that you would expect. It's our design. You could even see it. It looks a lot like what we call the W-80 warhead. Uh-huh. And so this is, and they've been talking about this. Their last test appeared to have some hydrogen fuel in it, a so-called boosted fission weapon. So yes, I believe that Kim Jong-un is the sun king. He has the hydrogen bomb. He's got the power of the sun in his grasp. So on Sunday, um, the president assembled his team of military advisors in the White House uh, Mm -hmm. to talk about what options might be on the table for them uh, in regard to North Korea. And the secretary of defense, who seems to be the most level-headed among his advisors, uh, came out to the in the West Wing driveway and told reporters. Any threat to the United States or its territories, including Guam, uh, or our allies, will be met with a massive military response, a response both effective and overwhelming. What does that mean? That is more measured than the way Trump and others have talked. What he's he's articulating is the classic policy of deterrence, the policy of deterrence that has kept North Korea in check for over 50 years. If you attack us, we will we will respond with a devastating attack that will end your regime. That is the completely appropriate kind of, of, of warning to give, as, as opposed to the kind of rhetoric you see from Trump, which is fire and fury. If you test, if you, if you do anything to us, if you issue a verbal threat, we will respond with fire and fury. No, 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 much more careful 
Well, that Mattis. was my question about even what Mattis said. He said in response to a threat. Is well, it that a is threat? a little. Is it, yeah, is a threat meaning they fire a missile toward Guam, or is the threat that they now have the capacity to yeah, do so? Yeah, it, it is. He, he left a little ambiguity there. I, I, I wish he had used the word attack, which would have been more clear, but it's not a verbal threat. I mean, I, I interpreted that to be if, if there is a physical threat to, the, um, to our allies or to the United States. So and then we also hear on the other side, uh, you're right, with Donald Trump in the middle, uh, Nikki Haley up at the UN. Uh, I want the very last clip there, Jamie, of Nikki Haley, where, where Nikki Haley, where she ends up. The, we've been down this road. Yeah. Only the strongest sanctions will enable us to resolve this problem through diplomacy. We have kicked the can down the road long enough. There is no more road left. Well, if there's no more road left for diplomacy, what is left? You know, I, I, I don't know what she's talking about. Uh, you can see this kind of speech that, that you can write that's full of strong words and strong and determination, right? But doesn't mean anything. I mean, what were the, what's the sanction package she just did? Was that inadequate? Was that the one? What do you mean it's, yeah. you want strong sanctions now? What have you been doing all this, all yeah. this time? They got a unanimous vote two weeks ago for the strongest sanctions yet. Yeah, and, those was, and, and I right. gave her credit. That was a, yeah. that was a nice yeah. piece of diplomacy. So what is she talking about now? I don't know if anybody's noticed that the Trump policy of maximum pressure and engagement, that's what they called it, is neither. The pressure is not maximum. And there is no engagement. Mm-hmm. You know, she says that the, the road of diplomacy is at an end. What diplomacy? This is not hard for the uh, U.S. ambassador to the United Nations to walk across the room where the North Korean ambassador sits. It's not like you have to find out <laughs> who should I talk to. Right. The North Korean delegation is right there in New York and start talking to them to explore the possibility. Is there actually a diplomatic solution to this? Are there any military options? There are options but no solutions. We practice all the time strikes on North Korea, which is, of course, one of the things that worries and annoys North Korea. We fly B-1 bombers from Guam to the Korean Peninsula practicing attacking North Korean sites. We've done 11 such drills since the end of May, for example, which is one of the reasons Guam figures heavily in North Korea's rhetoric. The South Koreans just practiced a drill mm-hmm. yesterday, a live fire drill. They shot off South Korean ballistic missiles to show that they could, in fact, be ready to hit North Korean sites. So, yeah, we can hit them. That's not the problem. The problem is what comes next. And North Korea is not Syria. You hit North Korea, they're going to hit back. And that could escalate very quickly into the most devastating war that we've seen since the end of World War II. Hundreds of thousands of people dying within hours. So one of the things that some people have suggested is a just basically a warning shot across the bow, a little ah, preemptive strike, yeah. right? Take out, and Lindsey Graham talked about this yesterday, taken out, he, he wasn't recommending it, but that we would take out their military uh, insult, insult, the, 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 new, the what, missile sites, I guess, right? That would probably would be happen? the greatest gamble anybody, any president has played since, uh, since the Cuban Missile Crisis when that, such a thing was considered. Is it possible? You got to. I mean, you have to be honest. Yes, it's possible that there might be some measured blow that the North Koreans would would absorb. But I think that's extremely unlikely because of Kim Jong Un's dependence on strength. More likely, more likely, he would respond. He he would have to, or else he will look weak, and his support among the generals will erode, and his regime would be 
And uh, a response in, in means um, strikes on Seoul and 10 million people, right? It could, it could escalate. Remember, it was only two years ago we had some artillery duels. The North Koreans were doing a drill, and some of their shells landed in South Korean island and killed some yeah. South Korean troops, and the South Koreans responded. Fortunately, it stopped right there, but under the current circumstances, with the current tensions, the current two inexperienced, impulsive leaders, I don't see any reason to think that it, it could be contained. Um, Donald Trump also said over the week, accusing, um, ratcheting up the rhetoric, um, accusing South Korea of appeasement. Oh, yeah. So this is a, there's a story in the New York Times today about this, how the U.S. and South Korea are now splitting. So at a time, if you want to have maximum pressure, what you want to do is bring all your allies together mm -hmm. and focus them and then bring your partners, so in this case China and Russia, together. And Donald Trump is doing exactly the opposite. He's attacking our key ally. He's accusing them of appeasement. He talks more to Abe, the, the leader of Japan, than he does to, uh, to President Moon, the leader of And South a couple Korea. of days ago, he also threatened to end the South Korean trade agreement. You may not like that agreement, and there may be good reason why you say, you know, this is not good for America, but not now, bucko. <laughs> not now. This is not when you want to bring up a key economic issue between your two countries when you're trying to build uh, a solid alliance against North Korea. So on what does he, uh, uh, what is the basis of his saying that North Korea has been, or South Korea rather, has a policy of appeasement? He means dialogue. This is very clear. The, the South Koreans want to talk to the North. They believe, like the Chinese, that the only solution is a diplomatic solution. Yes, more sanctions. Yes, more pressure. But to do what? You're not, there's, sanctions have never forced a country into capitulation or collapse. You know, it's always been a tool to get a negotiated solution. And that's the part of the Trump strategy that's missing. Where's the negotiated solution? Where is the, the diplomatic path? In part, we're hampered by the fact that we have no diplomats, that we're still comp woefully understaffed at the State Department. We don't have a U.S. ambassador to South Korea or an assistant secretaries that could usually handle this, this kind of thing. The, the U.N. delegation has been cut by 60 percent. Mm -hmm. by, by Rex Tillerson, the State Department. So we're weakening our diplomatic arm at exactly the time that you need it most. And one of the voices that's been, um, he's not been entirely silent, but he doesn't seem central to this whole discussion, is the Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson. The last time we heard from him, he was saying... The Invisible you know, Man. Is yeah. he still Secretary of State? Right. Is Who that knows? right? Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's, where is he? Yeah. You have not heard... Get this straight. North Korea just detonated a hydrogen bomb. There has not been a press conference at the State Department. There has not been a press statement from the State Department. There hasn't been a word uttered by the Secretary of State. This is our point man. This is the person that should mm -hmm. be speaking. Should be, right. Nothing. Invisible. Well, Joe, not he doesn't like talking to the press. He's, he's just getting work <laughs> yeah. done behind closed right. doors. We don't need to know nothing about that. So, it, so we have Nikki Haley, and then we also have, and this surprised me, and that very first clip yesterday, Jamie, from Steve Mnuchin. So now... The Secretary of oh, Treasury yeah. is dictating foreign policy, it seems. This behavior is completely unacceptable. Um, we've already started with sanctions against North Korea, but I am going to draft a sanctions package to send to the president for his strong consideration that anybody that wants to do trade or business with them would be prevented from doing trade oh. or business with us. Right. So now right. we've, uh, yeah, right. Now we're going to cut off trade with anybody who trades with North Korea in any way whatsoever, which, of course, number one is China. China. $570 billion a year is our trade, which I don't think I could dress if we cut off 
trade with China. I think half of my clothes are made in, in China. My iPhone, well, forget yeah. it. Yeah. You know, what do you right. made in China? I can't wear my Make America Great Again hat. <laughs> you, <laughs> Ivanka, what is Ivanka going to say yeah. about this? But it's not I just. I can't sell my jewelry. So, I, you know, this is, is no. ludicrous on the face of it. You just can't do this, which is one of these things we kind of. This is what's happened in the Trump era. We sort of discount this. We say, well, of course, that's absurd. But this is what the president is proposing. This is what the sec- the Treasury, and it's not and just China. Yeah, the president himself said this, not just the Treasury Secretary. Go ahead. And it's not just China. I mean, India trades with, with North Korea. Pakistan trades with North Korea. Japan still does trade with North Korea. So you're basically cutting off your, your trade relations with everybody. As if they would follow it, too. Right? As if they would follow it. Yeah, I mean. As if well, we, trade's a two-way street. Yeah. If we cut off trade, we stop buying. We stop right. selling. I mean, that's you could do this. It's insane. Right. So we've talked about the military options. What realistic options are there for negotiations? Are they, what, yes. Are they open to this? Look, this is very much like the Iran deal. You know, this is the same discussion. It's the same debate, frankly. I mean, you know, Nikki Haley, there's a great article. In a, uh, there's a thing called Loeb Log, uh, 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 blog site that's up there. Mm-hmm. And Jim Loeb talks about Nikki Haley as the neoconservative darling. And you got to remember who she is and what she represents and what this worldview represents. And this worldview is you don't negotiate with evil, right? Yeah, you don't right. negotiate with the Iran mullahs. You don't negotiate with North- No, we crush them I somehow, yeah. right? That's why what, what Ronald Reagan said while we were selling them, selling them uh, arms. Well, well, Reagan negotiated with the evil. He, did, he negotiated of course he did. with the evil empire. He, he, he was he claimed, a pragmatist. He claimed that he didn't, <laughs> yeah. but he did. And then he goes yes. and cuts the deal. So right. you, you have this debate between people say, no, 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 no. And so you see that wing d- dominating in the Trump uh, a, a, a administration. But we know that the North Koreans are willing to talk to us. They want, but they're what, they want to talk to us on their terms. And this is, of course, the art of diplomacy. You can make a deal. The question is, what does the deal look like? What's the price of the deal? And the longer we wait, the the worse the terms, the higher the price. I mean, they want us to accept them as a nuclear-armed state and negotiate a peace treaty with them that will recognize their legitimate government. We are actually willing to do something like that. We just want them to get rid of their nuclear weapons. So where's the space? Where's the compromise in between keeping everything and getting rid of everything? That's why you pay di- diplomats if we had diplomats. That's what, you, that's what they would be doing is negotiating that deal. At least, and here's the thing, at least have talks with the North Koreans to explore the possibility of reformal negotiations. That's, we're not even doing that. Right. See, where is Henry Kissinger when we need him? Seriously. I, 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 I know it hurts me to say this, but yes. <laughs> you know, okay. these, these people now, we, we, we criticized and derided in the past, these are actually people that are in the realm of reality that can actually cut deals. All right. So I want to give you my take. And Good. you're the expert. I'm not. But I just want you, I want you to tell me I'm, I'm, I'm on to something or I'm totally crazy. But my belief is that we have to we have need a little reality test here mm-hmm. that um, Kim Jong-un has won this war, certainly the propaganda war. North Korea, again, my take is we have to accept the fact that the best efforts of Bill Clinton and George Bush and Barack Obama failed, that North Korea is now a nuclear state. We have mm-hmm. to accept them as a nuclear state, and we have to then serious negotiations toward containment and restraint and deter- or deter- whatever uh, as a behavior as a nuclear a member of the nuclear club and not 
continue this fantasy that we're going to get them to drop their nuclear program. Uh, am I totally wet? All wet? I would just add one word, not unilaterally drop their nuclear program. I mean, this, let me just back up just for a second. Okay. This is why Henry Kissinger and George Shultz and Bill Perry and Sam Dunn talked about eliminating nuclear weapons globally. For exactly this reason, you cannot stop new nations from getting weapons as long as the big boys keep them. Right, okay. right. So you know, let's put yeah, that. I'm with you for that. So, for so sure. this is this is the problem but, they're talking about. So, but that's all, with that one a- adjective yeah. change, I completely agree. There's a great analyst out there. Uh, I, I'd call him young, but he's getting gray hair. Jeffrey Lewis, who writes often in foreign policy, and he's been saying this for years. He says, "Accept it. They have the bomb. They're a nuclear armed state. Yeah. Deal with it." Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we we've got to we've got to realize and, that and, and, come to, and, and negotiate over that. What yeah. are the limits? And Can you when contain we the program, isn't it also true? Yeah, when we negotiate over that, that this is a two way street. We're going to have to give up something. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so here's what the get with, and this is why Obama failed. He was willing to talk to the North Koreans, but he insisted that they agree to talks on their disarmament, the original goal from 10, 12 years ago. And they said, no, we're not going to give up what we're going to negotiate about. We're not going to go in and disarm and then have talks with you, right? So that, so you got to get throw that aside and say, so then, then but they might be willing to freeze their program and they've indicated there would be stop tests, hold it right here. And there's a, there's a little clause in their recent statement that said that this hydrogen bomb test was the final step in the state's nuclear program. Huh. That may be a signal that they've t- tested what they need to test and they could stop mm-hmm. here. But if we don't talk, they're just going to keep testing more right. things. And what would we give up? We would reduce, they would like us to stop, our drills with uh, South Korea and um, that, that practice attacks on North Korea. And that's what they want. And so they, they want security assurances. Yeah. They want prestige. They want trade agreements. They want formal recognition. They want a peace treaty to finally end the Korean War. Those are the kinds of things we should be willing to discuss with them. Right. That, 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 that was my next question. What does, and everybody asks this question, what does this 33-year-old want, right? Uh, it, he's sort of like the Rodney Dangerfield of the Far East, isn't he? Isn't it what he wants? He wants respect. Re- he wants respect. He, you know, there was this article in the New York Times that people are baffled by North Korea. I don't feel baffled. I don't think it's a mystery what he wants. I, I'm not sure. I, I, I got David Sanger's piece there. Hmm. He, he wants the same thing everybody who's ever gotten nuclear weapons want. The two motivations, well, three. The two are security and prestige. He wants nuclear weapons to protect him. He wants the international prestige that nuclear weapons convey. And the third reason people get this is domestic politics. Never underestimate the role of domestic politics. And this has worked for him internally to consolidate his rule. So you find a way that he's satisfied on all those three, that's the way to contain the threat, to reduce it, to stop him from building more weapons or better weapons, or most importantly, exporting this technology to other people. So what is your read? Are you worried? Do you believe, uh, as some people suggest, that we're on the brink of uh, World War III or nuclear war or at least another Korean war? There is a debate in the expert community about this. And you know, some people have their hair on fire about this, and others are saying, look, you go to South Korea, the South Koreans aren't worried. There's no civil defense drills. This is pretty much business as usual. The president- uh, They're moved, used to this. He went on vacation in August. You know, he, uh, They're used to this. 
I, I find myself in the middle. I am deeply concerned that we could stumble into war. And the primary reason for that is not what Kim Jong-un is doing. This is fairly predictable, and you can see where this is going. It's President Trump. I am deeply worried about the instability and incoherence of our own policy. And in that incoherence, we drift towards war. As much as you have some, I would say the adult that's left is Mattis mm-hmm. that will hold it. The generals, our generals don't want to go to war. Very often the, the people who, who want to go to war the least are the people who have been to war, who understand what this would mean. But Trump is the president. He is extremely impulsive. And as his domestic difficulties mount, as they surely will, he might be very tempted to distract with a, 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 a Korean adventure. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, so I'm no. worried about that. Yes, no, I, I am worried that a president who is verbally trigger happy, right, Twitter trigger happy, would end up being militarily trigger happy, right, and and believe that, um, well, it worked in Syria. It worked in Syria, and there's no shortage. And of- there was no response in Syria, you know. And we sent a message, didn't accomplish a damn thing, right? The uh, the the airfield was operating by the runways were still were still intact. But have the idea that we could do the same thing and in, 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 as you pointed out in North Korea would not be would not be and, without and response. Just so you understand, there are options. The military is ready at any time to execute options that would say take out a, a couple of dozen North Korean sites. Mm-hmm. And, and you know and, and they scale up from from there. So they're no. there and there's no shortage of, of right wing advisors who are saying do this. This is how you will be your. This will make your presidency. No, not that North Korea is not all important, <clears throat> but there are a couple of other okay, areas cool. of the world I did want to ask you about. So we have been there 16 years uh, without winning the war in Afghanistan or ending ah. it. But we're going to send 4,000 more troops, and it's all going to be over. This is the silver bullet, the magic, magic wand, right? The never-ending war. I mean, um, you know, we, we started making mistakes there in the first year, and we've just compounded them since. We, you know, we had a, a very clear mission in the beginning. We accomplished that mission, and then we stayed. And then we stayed. In Could that. we, should we just get out of Afghanistan? This is a deeply moral problem because our, our leaving would leave a, a vacuum, and the Taliban would indeed more easily come to power. Yes. I'm sorry. I think we should. Uh, I think it was a mistake to stay. It's not. It's an unwinnable fight. Our staying does not accomplish any conceivable objective except basically holding a dam that's going to break sooner or later. At some point, you just have to recognize we're never going to win this, right? We're, we're I mean, never going to win this. It's just going to be uh, some occupation forces there or whatever assistance forces. And partially, it's the, you know, it's the weakness of the of the government we're trying to prop up. The the, the corruption, the ineptitude of the of the government. There are no shining heroes there. There are good people, and you see their stories all the time, whether it's schoolgirls on, 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 on a project or, or reformers. There are good people there, and, and they will suffer. But I don't think the U.S. presence is going to save that country. It's a reason they called it the graveyard of empires. Yeah. Uh, and Syria, Bashar al-Assad has won that war? This is actually unbelievable. You know, remember we, we, how we often we talk talked about here? it anymore. Right, right. There was no yeah. there, right that 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 we don't talk about Syria anymore. It used to be the burning topic, and two, it was inconceivable that that uh, Assad could actually win, and so he's won this sort of how, how do you say this pyrrhic victory? Um, yeah. You know, it's he's got like a third of the country. 
you know. Mm-hmm. So he controls. And he's still in power. Country, and he's still in power thanks to Russia and Iran, who have backed him and, and propped him up. Right. Now, uh, this all leads up to the most important foreign policy question of the entire day. Of <laughs> What's course, that? Yeah. Which is your take on uh, the fact that uh, William and Kate are going to have a third child? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's very, we're all very excited. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you came in today. We know that you're doing you're doing the rounds of all the uh, news I mean, I, shows tonight and the cable news today, talking about uh, the, the 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 latest. Uh, it'd be royal. wonderful if everybody who was family. having a third. It'd be wonderful if everybody having a third child could have that kind of support staff to take care of your children, <laughs> and then you would look as good as they do. Right. Joe, thanks so much for coming in. Where can people find you? Plowshares. Plowshares.org. Plowshares, I always remind you, it's the English spelling of the word. Speaking P-L-O-U-G-H. of English. P-L-O-U-G-H. The great show series. And the one and only. Uh, we feel uh, more comforted now about North Korea. Thanks to you, Joe. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. My pleasure, Bill. And we'll turn it over to John Allen this in the next hour. is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump going to end the DACA program together, and he won't even make the announcement himself, the chicken. He's letting Jeff Sessions do it. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say on a Tuesday, September 5? Uh, welcome back from the uh, long uh, Labor Day weekend. Uh, and uh, Congress coming back to town today, so things could really get messy here in Washington, D.C. That's where you find us, the Bill Press Show, uh, on in our studio on Capitol Hill, joining you all across this great land of ours with the news of the day, such as it is from Washington, around the country, and around the globe. We'll tell you what's going on. You tell us what it all means to you by uh, sending us your comments on Twitter at BP Show, and to help us through all the news of the day, uh, our good friend, John Allen, co-author of the great book uh, Shattered, uh, and columnist at Roll Call. I don't know what else you, what other titles you have, but it's good to see you, Mr. Allen. I'm glad to be here. And, um, you know, that book, uh, for those who, who might want to purchase it, just a small plug here, it is largely about Carol Press. <laughs> yes. There are at least two mentions of Carol Press. Is that right, John? Oh, several. Yes, yes. at least two. We were at a, a dinner party Friday evening, I want you to know, and um, at the dinner party piped up and says, Carol, I was reading all about you in Shattered. <laughs> so You can dine out on that for, for a long time, I bet. <laughs> it is the uh, talk of the town, and of course that was uh, Carol's role in um, preparing a couple of meals for the Bernie Sanders early Bernie Sanders strategy sessions in our living room. Which probably resembled like a Phil Oaks concert, right? Like, But now we're, <laughs> <laughs> now we're trying to decide 
you know, who are we going to do this for in 2020? <laughs> well, be, what's, what's the answer, Bill? Well, I don't, we haven't known no, yet. Yeah, Let's a, talk offline. Will it be a repeat of Bernie? <laughs> will it be, you know, Kamala Harris? You know, lots of possibilities. There's a lot of um, a lot of elbows being thrown right now. Yeah, indeed. So John Allen here with us, uh, and we will jump right into the news of the day. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Tuesday morning. Some news from the media world. Trunk. Trunk. You guys know Trunk? Yeah. The company that owns the LA Times and the Chicago Tribune uh, has announced that they have a deal to buy the New York Daily News. Uh, The purchase, uh, as far as monetary, is unconfirmed at this point. But the reports are that the New York Daily News was sold for... $1. $1. Tronk will be assuming more than $30 million in debt from the New York Daily News. But uh, the big takeaway for Tronk is that they now have a newspaper in the three largest media markets in the U.S. That's New York, L.A., and Chicago. What do you guys think about this deal? Uh, I would love to see the Daily News kind of come back to its former strength. It's kind of been overshadowed by the Post. Um, I, you know, I think the assumption of debt is a, a key issue in any negotiation, as our founding fathers would tell us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be painful to be sold for a dollar if you're working there. That's got to be a morale buster. Yeah. Um, but it's nice that somebody wants to produce newspapers. Mm-hmm. That's a good yeah. point. Sticking with the uh, media world, we go to social media. On Sunday night, Hillary Clinton endorsed a new social plat- platform called Verit. Uh, which is described by her as a media platform for the 65.8 million, of course, in reference to the popular vote last November. Verit was created by a Clinton backer, Peter Dow, so fellow Hillary fans can find easy-to-share facts, stats, and other info that you can share verified on social media. However, after Clinton shared the link to the website Verit, the site became inaccessible. It was down. Peter Dow claimed that it was a denial-of-service attack, a.k.a. a hack, but offered no other details other than, no, it had nothing to do with the traffic and our site not being able to handle it. If you really look at it, most likely was they weren't ready for Hillary Clinton to be sharing this online. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not going to jump to join Verit anytime soon, but interesting. Hillary fans are, are pretty vocal uh, right now, especially as we look to 2020. I never heard of this. It would be smart to pretend that the site had crashed from the traffic, uh, not yeah. deny it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had such a response. We couldn't keep... On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. What do you say? Welcome back. The uh, long Labor Day weekend is over. I hate to give you bad news, but uh, we're into the regular work week now, starting on a Tuesday, September 5. It is the Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Thanks for being with us on Free Speech TV and out in Chicago. Welcome uh, to the great progressive voice of the Chicago area, WCPT. And we say welcome to... Uh, John Allen here in uh, studio as a friend of Bill for this entire hour. Uh, the book is still uh, a great read, and uh, I don't know, you bounced finally off the New York Times bestseller list, but you were there for a long time. Uh, we we have dropped off the New York Times bestseller list, so but if anybody wants to help get us get back, back on. Yeah. Get back on. Shattered is the book Inside Hillary Clinton's Doomed Campaign. 
uh, and doomed website, I guess we just learned about. <laughs> Is the paperback out, John? Or no, we... that's uh, that'll be out uh, sometime early next year. We'll get the hardcover now before it goes away, right? Or the ebook, or the audio book, or I mean, you could, there's who, a lot. Who of does the to... audio book? Do you and Amy there, do it, or no? No, I kind of wanted to do it because I kind of I do like a Bill, a Bill Clinton impression, so I wanted to at least have Whoa, those parts. That would have been cool. Uh, but we have a woman uh, who did it, who also did our previous book, and um, she's just awesome. Like mm. I, people who listen to the audio book are like amazed. They're like this voice is like really nice and easy to listen to. Right, cool. All right, so John, maybe you can. There's uh, so many big stories to talk about, and some that we haven't even gotten to today. So, um, but I got to get your take on DACA. So we know what's going to happen today, unless they really, really reverse all the leaks from the White House. That the that the president's not going to make the announcement. It'll be Jeff Sessions who says we're ending the DACA program, but not really. We're we're calling for an end for it, but we're then delaying the end for six months to give Congress a chance to act if they want to. And this comes after Donald Trump going out of his way to say how much he loves the Dreamers, what a difficult decision this has been for him. We um, love the Dreamers. That was we love everybody. Friday, we love the Dreamers. What's, what's behind this decision? I mean, he promised to rid the country of illegal immigrants. I mean, that's undocumented workers, you know, children of undocumented workers. He did. He did. But he also promised that the dreamers didn't have anything to worry about because he loves the dreamers. He He lies a lot, Bill. And to the extent that he to the extent that he tries to stick to something he said, it's something he said that rally that rallies his base. Yeah. And, you know, what's amazing to me, maybe not so amazing because he doesn't know Washington if you go back through the history of situations like this where a president's like, well, we're going to blame Congress for X, Congress isn't going to get, get the blame for this, not individually, not individually in their districts. They're going to do what's best for them in their districts, which may or may not produce a result on DACA. Maybe it will. It's still going to come to him at some point. I guess he would like to take credit if he signs something that extends it um, or, or take credit later if he vetoes right. something that extends it, if it gets there. But- when you kick things to Congress, you do it as a president because you don't want Congress to act, not because you do want Congress to act. You can think about President Obama and the decision on Syria, and he basically yeah. went yeah. to Congress so that Good they point. so yeah. that we wouldn't go to Syria. Right. And guess who got blamed for not going to Syria? It wasn't Congress; it was Barack Obama. Right, right. And the idea that Congress, which has been dealing with this issue for at least twenty years, right, in six months is suddenly going to come up with a solution for DACA. I mean. I, I used this phrase earlier. It's just too cute by half, right? Nobody believes it. Well, he's, tur- he's turning uh, undocumented immigrants into into hostages um, and, and essentially putting them on the end of the plank. I mean, you know, the, the right. term shooting the hostages, he hasn't done that quite yet, but he's put them in such peril that, uh, right. you know, that something bad will happen. I mean, w- one way or the other. For the next six months, their lives are completely uh, topsy-turvy. If at the end of six months there's an extension, who knows whether that's a permanent extension or not. So now you start extending this the way you do government funding because maybe that's all Congress can agree to. Or all of a sudden people who have essentially registered with the government under the promise that they would be protected. And, you know, kudos to the Obama administration on a policy uh, level for figuring out a way to uh, to do this so that it couldn't be pulled back politically safely. 
right? I mean, they yeah. basically yeah. they basically said, all right, if everybody gives us our stuff, here's the promise from the American government, and assuming that any next president would honor the promise from the American government, uh, not assuming that it would be Donald Trump reneging on the promise of the American well, government. Well, so you take this six months. This six months puts you into February 2018, right? Primary season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, the, the, the idea that Congress is going to deal with this in 2018 in the primary season, it's insane. And the idea that um, that these folks aren't thinking about that is also insane. Right. right. The people around Donald Trump, the people who are most intense about this are the people who have kind of hijacked our political system successfully over the course of the last. And when I say hijacked, I, I, I don't mean that in the negative. I don't mean that negatively. I just mean you're talking about like the Tea Party, Bannon, <laughs> Jeff Sessions wing of the Republican Party, which was a tiny minority and is now not only the majority in the Republican Party, at least in terms of the power, but also the majority in this country in terms of power. You know, Stephen Miller's still in the White House, too. Uh, yeah, well, this I, is the Stephen Miller-Jeff Sessions program. I do want to add one thing. Donald Trump did tweet about five or six minutes ago oh, here. God. He said, Congress, get ready to do your job, dash DACA, in, with an exclamation mark, mark there at the end. Yeah, yeah. this is a point that uh, Sarah Sanders made, too, Friday. All we mean is that Congress ought to get to work, right? Yeah. Uh, well... Congress that couldn't round up 51 votes to repeal Obamacare. So maybe, so maybe I should go back on what I said before. Maybe they do know what they're doing. Maybe they do know that by sending this to Congress, Congress won't them. act. Won't won't act. Right. And, and they are killing DACA that way. But but I think you're right that the belief that thereby people will blame Congress and not totally Trump off is totally off. Right. Right. But I want to go back to you mentioned this uh, I, th- those way back clips, Jamie. So this is. Just to show you whether – it raises a question whether this guy believes in anything. Um, CNN put together – this is 2011. Donald Trump on Fox and Friends talking about – so Michelle Bachman was getting some flack at the time because she was saying we have to have some – we have to take care of these dreamers. This isn't conservative. This is, this is compassion. Is it amnesty? Um, I guess to a certain extent, for a very limited number of people, it would be considered amnesty. But how do you tell a family that's been here for 25 years to get out? Yeah. And then he went on CNBC making the same point. They've done wonderfully. They've gone to school. They've gotten good marks. They're productive. Now we're supposed to send them out of the country. I don't believe in that, Michelle, and you understand that. I don't believe in a lot of things that are being said. How could that guy end the DACA program? Just because you can't trust anything. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the, I mean that's I, the answer. He will say anything at any moment. Which yeah. is, look, most politicians. But you're right. When he has to come down to really sticking to something, he'll do what's best for what he thinks is his base wants. Right. Yes. So I mean, that's the way to to, to judge it or gauge it. This is where he's going. He's never going to leave that base. It's like uh, like a marketer, somebody who's great at marketing. Like he's never going to lose his his original. You know, sales base, his consumer base. He will not do anything to alienate them. He's not going to be the Netflix guy that all of a sudden, you know, changes the rules on Netflix or like ups the cost or whatever, yeah. and then has to kind of back down from it. Um, it's uh, it's amazing to listen to that stuff, but also on some level, uh, that's what politicians do, and it's what corporate leaders do. They say what they need to say yeah. at the moment they need to say it. We'll talk more about uh, whether Congress is going to be able to deal with this or any other issues actually when they come back with Lauren Fox from uh, CNN. Uh, in the next half hour. But one other aspect of this I want to ask you about, which I don't understand, is 
and I'm torn about it, and that is this the political impact on the pure politics of alienating the Latino community. I mean, is this smart politics on the part of Donald Trump or Republicans? I don't think so. I don't think that uh, most of the Republican leaders think so. And yet they were all proven wrong in this last election, uh, by not by Donald Trump winning the presidency, but by Donald Trump winning the primary and then the presidency. But you know, sort of both stages of that. And, then, and that means that the Republican Party is tolerant of uh, Donald Trump's viewpoints and a significant percentage of Hispanic voters, not a majority, nothing close to a majority, but a significant percentage of Hispanic voters uh, either didn't believe him um, or did believe him and were perfectly fine with the policies he was but, espousing. You're absolutely right. You know, Lindsey Graham, we remember, we talked about it so often on this program, where Lindsey said, if we don't take the lead in immigration reform, he said this after uh, John McCain lost, right? We will be in a death spiral. We'll never be able to get to the White House. He was proven wrong. But don't you agree, at some point, the numbers are going to come back and bite them in the ass? Not, not only do I think so, but the white supremacists also think so. Maybe the only thing I agree with them on, which is they their whole thing is like, let's have more white babies because they understand the population dynamics. They're going to be gone. You don't have to, you don't have to punch a Nazi. You just have to wait. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you want to punch a Nazi, I'm not telling you not to. No, that's right. In fact, I'll pay your legal fees if you do. Exactly. Right? But yeah, uh, I think I think you're joking, right? I am. You don't want like hundreds of people going out there no. finding Nazis to punch just because you're going to pay their legal fees. I'm not. No. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm joking. But Donald Trump was not joking. Uh, but so this ending the DACA program combined with pardoning Joe Arpaio seems to me is the Republican Party sending a message to the Latino community. We hate you. We don't think you belong here. We don't want you here. We're your enemy. What's crazy is Joe Arpaio, I believe, is the children of immigrants. I mean, this guy's got some sort of psychological issue, um, some many psychological issues that put him in the place of uh, having prisoners wear pink underwear and putting them out in a a tent uh, prison. Donald Trump not only it's not only that he supported somebody who believes awful things about immigrants and wants to deport them or whatever the uh, and and profile and all those things it's that he chose to stand with somebody who's clearly got some issues mm-hmm. not just pol- on a policy level but this is a this is somebody who is so far outside the American mainstream and Donald Trump's like that guy's my buddy. That's the one I stand with when he comes right. into. And also, thumb does nose. Thumb does nose at the uh, at the Constitution. A couple of other things that have kind of gotten lost in 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 all the talk about North Korea and DACA. Um, over the weekend, the Department of Justice said, "Oh yeah, that idea that uh, Barack Obama tapped the phones or did the wiretapping at Trump Tower. We don't. There's no evidence behind that at all. So what do we do with that?" Did anybody think there was going to be evidence? No, but I mean, now that his Department of Justice is saying the president lied. Yes, everybody says the pre- General Kelly says the president lied. General Mattis says the president lied. Uh, Secretary Tillerson says the president lied. That everybody in his administration, the only thing that they can do uh, to preserve their own reputations is to call out the obvious lies of Donald Trump. And and you know, if you're Jeff Sessions, you do it on something like that. Uh, to try to preserve your credibility when you do what Jeff Sessions is about to do later today. Right. 
So uh, nothing's, in other words, okay, now we know he lied and there's no, no consequences at all for I, Donald Trump. No. No. Not, not immediately. But I guess we can expect the apology, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's going to be forthcoming anytime soon. Uh, yeah, I don't either. Now, we also learned that there are about two letters. I'll ask you about two letters. So, reportedly, Donald Trump, we haven't read this one yet, but Donald Trump has wrote a letter um, explaining why he was firing James Comey. A letter that was so radioactive, the White House counsel says, no, you cannot release this letter. Jeff Sessions says, no, you cannot release this letter. Robert Mueller, we know, we haven't read it, but we know Robert Mueller has it. What does that tell us? Tells us that uh, it's part of Mueller's investigation into what the president, why the president fired Jim Comey, and the reason that that's so important is uh, that it gets to the question of obstruction of justice. And I'm of the opinion that uh, Donald Trump is in much less legal jeopardy than he is in political jeopardy in terms of, um, I think he can pardon himself from any federal charges. So that's not an issue for him, but he could be impeached and removed from office, and it if, does, if he's found guilty of obstruction of justice. But the thing is, he doesn't. It it really doesn't matter. He could be found guilty of breaking a pencil if the House chooses to vote to impeach true, him true. and the Senate votes to remove him. I mean, it's an entirely political process. So, is Mueller going to bring forward overwhelming evidence of obstruction of justice in a way that members of Congress don't feel like uh, they can ignore that? Um, and maybe they find some other way to deal with it. Maybe there's a censure or whatever, but it will all come. It will all be sort of aligned with the context of what the Russia stuff looks like. They're going into the financial dealings, and we will see the extent to which uh, Donald Trump, you know, owes Russia, um, if at all. So, but I think it ties into that. And so, it's, this is an important piece of the story. Very important piece of the story. Yeah, it does show that Mueller is really looking at obstruction of justice. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And he has to be because the president himself said he fired Comey uh, because he because the uh, the Russia stuff. I mean, he literally went on television and said it. I, it's like the one. It's like the most honest thing that he said as president of the United States. It could be the thing that brings down his presidency. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and it's interesting in response to. So this letter was so radioactive that when Sessions and Rosenstein went to see him, they said, "No, you can't send that letter. We'll write a letter for you." Right. Yeah. That and that's the letter that actually went out, even though Donald Trump changed that one a little bit. But uh, now Sessions and Rosenstein could potentially be in trouble because because they're the, because the standard for an attorney general or deputy attorney general to tell the truth, uh, to honor the law, uh, to not be par- a party to obstructing justice, um, that mm. bar is pretty high. Yeah. Um. And so if Donald Trump was obstructing justice in firing Comey and they were helping him come up with a plan that was at odds with whatever that first letter was, they are then part of a cover-up and an obstruction of justice, right? I mean, those two guys are in the crosshairs, and I think that's why Rosenstein immediately appointed Mueller Mm. um, so that at least least he could— cut off his own culpability right there. Right. The other letter that uh, that has surfaced over the weekend is a letter that, uh, I don't know whether you've had a chance to read it, that President Obama 
left as a tradition as it's become a tradition for outgoing presidents to leave a little note of congratulations and a couple of thoughts maybe for their successor with the president Obama's letter has now but somebody gave a copy to CNN and Donald Trump brags about this letter all the time what a great letter it was and everything has he read it I assume he's read it I mean right <laughs> yeah. He's read passages. It's a letter. He says it's complex and beautiful, John. That means that he cannot understand it. You know that. He struggles sometimes with uh, sophisticated words, finding sophisticated words for simple ideas. So Uh, he's a a complex and beautiful master of the English language. In contrast to some of the hate messages that he gets on Twitter every day, it is very complex and very beautiful. Um, I'm surprised President Obama didn't just leave a copy of his birth certificate there. (laughs) <laughs> that would have been the proper thing to do. But he does say, for example, he says, you know, look, far be it from me to give you advice. You won the presidency, whatever. Here are a couple of thoughts. And one of them is we're only here a short period of time. And you know, our effort should really be to help those people who are not already hugely successful, you know, still have a way to go to achieve the American dream. And Donald Trump reads that and he says, yeah. Let's end the Dreamer program. I think, it's, I think he was like, oh, my God, you're right. I need to help Don Jr., Eric, and uh, Ivanka. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Baron. And my friends. Right. And uh, <laughs> Tiffany. Yeah, don't forget <laughs> Tiffany. Yeah, and Tiffany. Who could forget Tiffany? A lot of people do, it seems. Uh, there are reports that John Kelly may be having second thoughts about taking a job <laughs> as chief of staff. If he's not having second thoughts, he's insane. <laughs> I mean, he should be on like sixth or seventh thoughts by now. How long do you think he lasts? Six months, max. I, it's I mean, been a month. So look, I you know it's interesting. I was uh, I spent the weekend um, with uh, a military veteran who was talking about sort of the reputations of um, you know Kelly and Mattis and mm. McMaster within the services and mm. um, you know and they have a good reputation. They though, all have they? good reputations. And and the this person's point was like these guys feel duty to country yeah that they feel like the country is in a worse place and look that's the most that is the most benevolent reading of what's going on here and and maybe it's true and i'd like to think that i'd like to think that these guys were like yeah i'm gonna get in there and try to help him but at some point even those guys understand that throwing their hands up in the air and leaving is doing more help than sticking around uh if they're unable to help if the, if they are unable to guide the president, and it looks like, I mean, you know, Maggie's Maggie Haberman's, I guess, got the big story on this. It, it looks like people pretty close to Trump, maybe Trump himself, are talking about how annoyed Trump is with the reins that have been put on him. Yeah, right. And Kelly must realize, I would hope that he realized it before he even took the job, that you can organize everything around the White House, but you cannot organize Donald Trump. Right. I mean, you can instill discipline among the staff, but discipline and Donald Trump are never mix, right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the principal's in charge. The president is in charge. They, you can do all the things you possibly can to, to you know, look, it's a, it's like they're trying to handle an abuser. Like they're trying to, like, you know, kid glove somebody who's who erupts all the time and is imbalanced and – um, you know, violent, and they're just trying to get them to not, get him to not be those ways, and like that's a losing calculation. But the one thing that that I read, and I guess Maggie Haberman's story that struck me is that Trump at one point apparently just unloaded on Kelly in front of some other people, 
personally. And because he was not happy with the way things were going, whatever it was, he didn't think he was getting enough credit for some of the stuff that he's doing and, and blaming Kelly. And, and Kelly told somebody he'd never been spoken to that way in his entire military career. Inclu- some, including boot camp, right? Including right. boot camp, right. <laughs> now, at some point, somebody like Kelly, who's got some self-respect, is just going to say, you know, F you, I'm out of here. Yeah. Or basic training. Um, you know, it was reported that Stephen Miller had been putting Breitbart articles on Trump's desk every day, and John Kelly had stopped that practice. And it was just you know late night Breitbart and, calls that he was getting from perhaps Bannon. Now that Bannon's out of the White House, however, Donald Trump, after he tweeted "Congress do your job on DACA," uh, tweeted retweeted what, Dan morning? Scavino. Yeah, just a oh. couple minutes ago, retweeted Dan Scavino, and it's a Breitbart article. So he's still reading Breitbart. I mean, somebody may have given him access to the internet. <laughs> I don't think he d- he knows how to use the internet as well as you or I, obviously. So well, you know, people, it's not unusual for uh, president of the United States or any leading principal in politics to uh, have things printed out and handed to them. Mm-mm. They don't do their own googling, right? That's not that's not unusual. Yeah, I think uh, Hillary, I, Hillary Clinton gets a huge briefing book every every yeah. morning, right? Like, no, they all get that around the White House. Most and, of them don't have Breitbart in, right? In I I think I think Barack Obama was pretty savvy on the internet. I mean, I think he knew how to surf and Google and whatever. I don't know. I, that's my impression. But um, the big story, of course, want the other big story, North Korea. How worried are you that Donald Trump is going to do something rash and a um, uh, little trigger happy on North Korea, or will calmer heads prevail? Is it awful to say less worried than I would be if I was on the West Coast? No, I know. Our kids are on the West Coast. Our grandkids are on the West Coast. It's the first time in my memory that the West Coast is more interested in politics than the East Coast. Um, I I think we should be worried. You know, I don't know. I don't know how worried, but I would say that uh, we have a tendency to dismiss black swan events like a nuclear detonation, um, and yet they happen. A 500-year flood happens. Sometimes right. it happens a couple of times in a short period of time. Uh, stock markets crash. You know, they, so um, you would think that it would be hard, hard to get to the point where somebody wants a nuclear weapon, but Kim Jong-un keeps telling us he's going to do it, and he keeps getting closer and closer to doing it. So at some point, you got to believe that he's going to do it. And um, I think there's a knee-jerk reaction on the left to the idea that he would be met with force before he has an opportunity to do that. And I'm not sure that's I, I, I'm not sure that it is wrong to take preemptive uh, military action against Kim Jong-un at this point. And I hate to say that because I'm I, I think we're overextended. I think we ought to be pulling back from Afghanistan. But this is a this is a nutcase. If you were in South Korea, I doubt that you'd be saying that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's the it's the because, you know, that. That whatever we if we if we were to attempt some kind of preemptive strike like we did in Syria, as Joe Sony was just telling us, there's no doubt we're not going to hit all their missile start sites no, at one time. No. They'll have capacity to re- to to respond, and they're going to respond to South Korea, where 10 million people live 30 miles south of the border. Right. There's no good answer to this. There's no. I mean, I'm not I'm not advocating for the preemptive strike. I'm just saying that there's no good answer here. And so the the reaction to Trump is Trump is crazy, right? Like there's a reaction on the left and I think in the center and maybe even a little bit on the right, Trump is crazy and could precipitate a nuclear war, right? At the same time, if you lay back, 
you may also be precipitating a nuclear war. And I generally don't believe in that thinking, but Kim Jong-un is nuts. Well, that's the, a problem. I mean, so is it's, Donald Trump. So you've got two guys who are basically trigger-happy, ego, egomaniacs, where they, where they are because of their daddy. You know, I mean, I mean, ultimately, the problem is that we, we have nuclear weapons and we're trying to tell everybody else not to have them. And everybody else understands that they're one one leverage. And no matter what the size of the country or organization is, their biggest leverage is to have a nuclear weapon. You know, uh, who knows? You can't predict. But I, I, I think it's pro- we can be pretty confident that this weekend, which is the big anniversary weekend of the founding of the Republic of North Korea, where they always do some sort of big military thing. This weekend, they're going to fire a missile that's going to land off the shores of Guam. Not going to hit Guam, but land in the waters off of Guam. And do, then it's going to be Do you think they can aim that Katie. well? Yes. <laughs> they missed Japan. <laughs> they went over Japan. Yeah. They didn't hit it. <laughs> that's a shot across the bow. I mean, it's a pretty big Oh, no. Freaking if that bow. happens, we are in, yeah. No, we're, we're moving troops. China's moving troops if that happens. Uh, on that point, <laughs> yeah, that, right. It's pretty no. somber. All right, so we've got tax reform, we've got infrastructure, we got to shut down the government, we've got a debt ceiling, we've got Harvey uh, funding, and we've got the wall. How much of that? Oh, by the way, we have DACA too. How much of that is Congress going to be able to accomplish? Lauren Fox has the answers from CNN Politics. Joining me and John Allen for the next half hour. Stay tuned. I was sitting at the table, we had finished dinner, we're now having dessert, and we had the most beautiful piece of chocolate cake that you've ever seen, and President Xi was enjoying it. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. All right, here we go. The Bill Press Show. Uh, wrap it up this final half hour here on a Tuesday, September 5. Uh, great to have you with us today. We are uh, coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters, the good men and women of our firefighting departments. Nationwide, on the front lines every day, protecting American families, all under the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger. Uh, we salute them, thank them for their good work and their support of the program. To find out more about their great work at IAFF.org. Uh, John Allen here as a friend of Bill for this entire hour, and we're joined by Lauren Fox from CNN, who covers politics for CNN. Hey, Lauren. Good Hi, to see you. Hi, how are you? Thanks yeah. for having me. Uh, but if we may, before we uh, jump into uh, what we can expect from Congress now that they're coming back in town, we just want to give uh, all of you a uh, Peter Ogburn update. We told you last week, Peter, uh, some um, very serious surgery, open-heart surgery, uh, emergency open-heart surgery a week ago, but he has bounced back like um, nobody's ever seen uh, and is doing very, very well. Jamie and I have been over there uh, at least every other day, if not mm-hmm. more often. Uh, and yesterday he was in fine form. Yeah, for a guy that went through open heart surgery a week ago, uh, he's yeah. doing great. Uh, he walks around the hospital wing. He's been outside a couple of times to get some sun down there in the courtyard. 
Uh, he wants to get back. You know, he's he's real anxious to get back. But we know it's going to be a, um, a certainly a, a road to recovery. Hopefully not a long one, but he's doing extremely well for what he's been through. And very grateful for all of your messages. Uh, and uh, if you uh, want to send a word to Peter, uh, just do so. Just like your comments to the show, go to uh, on Twitter at BP Show. Right, Jamie? That's right. Yeah. Yep. And other comments you may have uh, as you continue on through the show today, tweet us your comments at BP Show. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook. All right. So, Lauren. Yes. Where do we start? Congress coming back today. Uh, everybody says the number one priority is Hurricane Harvey and debt ceiling. Sure. I mean, you also have to fund the government. So that's another one of the top priorities. I think it's sort of hard to prioritize a list of things that have to be done. Right. I mean, they all have to be done. So at the end of the day, you're going to have to figure out, you know, which one first, I suppose, and the debt ceiling might run out faster than government funding, especially because if you start to tack on Hurricane Harvey funding on top of that, the country starts to um, overextend itself pretty quickly. Well, we remember uh, there was not unanimous uh, support for um, hurricane funding under when the Hurricane Sandy hit, right? Well, and I think especially this is- not from the. Uh, Republicans in Texas, or under Katrina, for, for that matter, Katrina, well, even Katrina. Uh, yeah, there were some some of the same folks who basically became the Tea Party and then became in charge of the country. Uh, <laughs> those folks did not want, uh, you know, emergency funding for uh, these hurricanes and and you know to do it without offsetting. Right. So will Harvey be automatic? I think that we can expect that Harvey's going to happen pretty quickly, given the fact that two of the most conservative members of the Senate hail from Texas. I, I think that it would be pretty surprising if we started to see a fight. Also, just the simple math on the House side, if you add the Republicans in the Texas delegation to all the Democrats, it's true. you have more than a majority of the House. Yeah, right. Without anybody else, and obviously there are a number of Republicans other than the Texas delegation who would be in support of emergency funding. Yeah. Right. Now, what I understand is the plan is that they'll so they'll do the um, Harvey funding in the House, and then send it to the Senate, and they add the debt ceiling to it, or they ha- somehow they they combine the debt ceiling with Hurricane Harvey. It hasn't been absolutely decided. We haven't heard one way or the other exactly how Majority Leader but McConnell. That's probably a pretty good. But that's plan, probably isn't a it? pretty decent plan, especially because of the issue that I sort of addressed previously, which is yeah. that if you start to add hurricane money in, all of a sudden, you know, the country has to pay its debts faster. Mm-hmm. I mean, the irony is that Harvey has made it easier, should have made it easier uh, to to solve these year-end legislative problems. Yeah. Um, you know, right. all of the, right. all three of them, the debt limit, the government funding, and uh, the emergency funding uh, are now a lot easier to get done. Um, I think before Hurricane Harvey, my view was when Donald Trump went out there and said, uh, either I get my wall funding or I'm going to shut down the government. He was actually talking about two things he wanted to do, get the wall funding and shut down the government <laughs> to do it, um, that he thought that there was political benefit to at least a short-term shutdown. Um, he seems he frequently phrases things that way, you know, the, the sort of either or this is what the deal is. And actually, it's two things that he wants. So but after Harvey, he can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that will make it easier for Republican leaders, uh, I think, to negotiate the uh, at least a continuation of current government funding levels for a while. Right. I mean, you'd look pretty callous to sort of stand up against 
you know, hurricane funding at this point and then try to hold up a debt ceiling because of hurricane funding. I think but, it would be pretty tough. But just so I understand, if they do Harvey and the debt ceiling, there's still the issue of funding, keeping the government open, yeah. right? I think that it's become clear, though, that they're looking at a short-term CR so that we can do this dance right before Christmas, okay. basically. And, and, to, and they can do right. that clean, right? They can get the Harvey funding, they can get the debt, lim- debt ceiling increase, and they can get no wall money uh, government funding continuation through December clean, probably. Okay, but, but. It can always change. But, right, it's Congress, no. so, you know. And yeah. it's Trump. So, but you said no wall money. That's not going to fly with the White House. Well, right? it may fly for a few months. Basically, you tell the president we're going to get to a more itemized uh, spending bill later. But right now, what we're going to do is just a continuing resolution. Because look, we have so much to do, and now you've given us potentially this DACA issue that we have to figure out, and there's just no way to do it right now. And we'll we'll deal with that in December. So I think that that fight so might get pushed off until December. So we could end up the December. year. With no funding for the wall. Well, I think you'd have the fight before Christmas. But sure, I mean, I think anything's possible at this point. The other point. thing that's going on right now is that the That'd White House... That would be a pretty big House... setback for the White House, John. Trump is going to accept that? May have to. He's before Christmas, to sure. But, the, but there are other issues here at play as well. Um, it appears right now that the White House believes that they can trade uh, the Dreamers for wall funding. That their belief is that now that you've got all these dreamers on the on the out on the plank, as I put it earlier, um, that Democrats will be willing to fund the wall in exchange for uh, extending the, the dreamer program. I think it should be really clear, though, that a lot of Democrats that I've talked to and a lot of their staffers on the Hill that I've talked to have pretty clearly said, like, that's a non-starter. And so I think that that's a pretty big risk of the White House to be out there. And I think that you're right. I mean, I think that's what they're thinking they could get out of this. But I definitely think it's a pretty big ask. Yeah, and I'm not sure Democrats are going right, to go that's for the way it. I phrase, that's why I phrase it as the White House yeah. seems to believe yes. that this could happen. Bill, I mean, you you talk to a lot of folks on, on the left. What's, uh, no, can I turn not. this around and ask? <laughs> what do you think of that? Is that a non-starter? Yeah, absolutely. No. That there's no way that Democrats are going to vote for the or, or, or vote for this wall or fall for that. Or They'll anything. pay for border security. They'll pay for maybe more financing along the southern border, more technology, more drones, yeah, some kind of not? virtual wall situation. But I don't think that they would ever support like a it, brick and mortar. But let's just take DACA of, in, in itself. I mean, how realistic is it that that that, that Congress, which has wrestled with this issue for 20, 25 years, in six months is going to solve the DACA problem. One of the first things I covered on Capitol Hill was the immigration fight in the Senate. It gets out of the Senate. It feels like there's this momentum, and it it just crashes and burns in the House. And when I say crashes and burns, it just didn't go anywhere. Nothing happened with it. It was just it sort of like went over there, and then it just kind of withered on the vine. And I think imagining that they would do this in six months— is really hard for me to put my mind I mean, around, considering how many times there's been fits and starts of bipartisan negotiations on immigration. If you go back uh, to the 2006 uh, immigration attempt to, to do immigration reform, Rahm Emanuel basically said to Nancy Pelosi, oh. do not do anything yes. on this until the Senate proves it can pass a bill. And they wouldn't do anything. They wouldn't do anything. They wouldn't do mm-hmm. anything. And it turned out, politically turned out to be smart. Mm-hmm. On a policy level, what it meant was uh, and, and if you recall, Barack Obama cast uh, cast a deciding vote on a poison pill amendment 
that ended up killing that bill in the Senate. Um, you had the Obama-Rom uh, faction <laughs> doing the yeah. politics on this, and their their politics were smart. On a policy level, I think it was a denial of service for uh, for undocumented workers. And don't forget that a couple of years ago, red, a couple of red state Dems voted against the DREAM Act in the Senate. Mm. I mean, so if you have a standalone bill on that, mm-hmm. I am going to find it pretty tough to imagine, you know, how that helps them politically when we're talking about a lot and of red state th- Dems. I, I don't know. This just happened. So maybe I haven't had a chance to get to get a sounding on this. But I wonder, it seems to me that some senators would be, and maybe even McConnell and Ryan, pretty pissed off that the president is th- throwing this whole thing, dropping this whole mess in their laps rather than making a final decision himself. Well, I think it's two-sided, right? In the one hand, they all, a lot of Republicans agreed that this was outside the bounds of what President Barack Obama was supposed to do yeah, with executive action. but they didn't want action. him to throw it back to them. Well, certainly. Right? But now the irony, of course, is that if the president isn't going to do something on it, then you have to do something on it. And I can imagine that, especially McConnell, given how far behind I feel like maybe their agenda is feeling right now, it's pretty frustrated. I think the Democrats, it's hard to know. I think right now if the Democrats were smart, they should take they would take advantage of the disorganization on the Republican side on this, and they would propose uh, language in whatever bill goes forward in the short term, the Harvey funding and debt mm-hmm. limit or whatever, uh, precluding the construction of a wall. Mm-hmm. And they should talk NBA. about that a lot and put a goalpost out on the other side that allows, gives some room to uh, Ryan and McConnell to put something forward that doesn't have wall funding but also doesn't have some sort of restriction on it. That, because at the end of the day, what you're talking about here is um, is is a real fight over whether our resources are going to be spent on a wall and a larger more human fight on uh, what happens with these dreamers, and I don't, I don't hear the Democrats offering anything that pushes the the, the you know pushes the marker that creates a, an outpost that's farther out uh, against which Ryan McConnell, uh, moderate Democrats can kind of triangulate and, and do real policy. Right. Meanwhile, there's this thing floating around called tax reform, <laughs> which. Yeah, we're running out. I, I checked by my count yesterday. There are forty-eight working, forty-eight days, forty-eight work days left for Congress in this year. There are a lot more for most Americans, right? But not their schedule. Now they got there's a lot on that agenda. I mean, tax reform. Tax reform is major. It's huge. It's a huge lift. And tax reform right now is feeling so much to me. But how realistic is it that they're going to get anything done on I mean, taxes? it's feeling so much to me right now, like health care did in January, where we all agree that Obamacare should be repealed, but the nitty-gritty details of it have not been sorted out yet. And I think it's going to be, if they're going to sort out those details, it's going to have to happen in the next couple of weeks. Is there a bill? No bill yet. Look, what, what happens when... Is, uh, there any, is there anything other than... Lowering the corporate tax rate. There were those broad principles that were laid out at the uh, end of July, beginning of August. Uh, That's it. That's what we've seen publicly. What I wonder is to the extent to which Hurricane Harvey has changed this debate, because now if you're looking uh, at trying to bring things toward balance, you probably will have another $150 billion in. in offset to find, right? Like if you're trying to do revenue yeah, neutral tech. Right. I don't know if that's the goal anymore, though. And I think that's the great sort of irony of this whole thing is that perhaps that's not even the goal. 
Right. So it just gets, which is fine because I don't think, I mean, I mean, from a philosophical standpoint, I think that most Republicans actually prefer tax cuts uh, to, to any sort of ba- budget balance, much like Democrats would like to spend more money uh, and and uh, have higher taxes, and they're less concerned about balance necessarily. Um, they they want to achieve their policy goals, and they talk about balance when Republicans are in charge. Republicans talk about balance when Democrats are in charge. But I do, I, even if you're not getting toward balance, you were exacer- We were about to exacerbate the deficit, and uh, through the Har- Harvey funding, by probably I think probably 150 billion dollars. It's a Sheila Jackson Lee's number, and I don't think it's off. No. I've heard $180 billion. And let's not forget that to do tax reform, we if we're going to do it through reconciliation, we have to pass another budget, which we haven't done yet. So that's, that's a whole nother, <laughs> that is a whole nother obstacle before you even start to get into tax reform policy. You have to pass that budget to get those reconciliation instructions. The health care instructions run out at the end of the month. Is it like President Trump looked at Congress and was like, you guys are having trouble juggling three balls here Here's another one, DACA. And <laughs> I yeah. don't want to be disappointed by Congress. Do you understand me? Do you understand? You understand me. He's constantly throwing these little threats at Congress, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm starting to, I saw a big change over the summer recess in the way that Congress, members of Congress talked about Trump. I think that there's a lot of frustration right now with, if you start attacking McConnell, a lot of senators are going to stand up for him. It's just how it is. These guys work closely together. They don't like it when their buddies are attacked. Right. And and you can go too far. Look, I mean, his his political mentor was Roy Cohn. Donald Trump's political mentor was Roy Cohn. And everybody says that they're like, how brilliant was Roy Cohn? You know, like what what a what a strategist and and usually negatively attached. And the reason that there's a negative attachment mm-hmm. to Roy Cohn is because Roy Cohn blew up. He imploded. He went way too far. Everybody else, even in his own party, was like, "You're you're nuts," and I'm not walking the, walking in this direction. As did anymore. Joe McCarthy. As did Joe McCarthy. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah. Like maybe right. that being your mentor is not the like doesn't produce great results if you repeat the behavior. So, um, how realistic is it? Is there any chance that there will be tax reform? I mean, I'm just looking at this Donald Trump scorecard here. Right. Uh, that was a big one: infrastructure tax reform and and repeal of Obamacare. It's tough. And the wall. I, I, I just, I, I've stopped I, predicting My prediction Congress. is he's going to, we're going to end the year and he will have none of the four. I mean, I think that I, at every turn, I my predictions I felt like were off on health care just because, you know, you start to get into it yeah, and it seemed yeah. like they're never going to do it, but then the House does it and then, oh, the Senate will never do it. Oh, they're so close. They're going to do it. And then John McCain. So I feel like, you know, when it comes to this Congress and this president, my predictions are just not good anymore. So I've lost a lot of confidence there. But I would say it's probably a safe bet that a major piece of legislation happening in the next 40 some days by your count is a pretty heavy lift. And so where does that and, and just I want to be sure that because some people are still saying that there's a chance they're still going to repeal Obamacare. That's crazy. They have till it? the end of the month, given what the parliamentarian said last week. For 51 votes. Yes. To get it by 51 yes. votes. Yes. Otherwise, they'd have to pass a new budget, and they could, it's, but... Right. It's not going to happen, and, and it shouldn't happen that way. No. And, there, and honestly, look, I've always believed that Mitch McConnell didn't want this to become law. This particular version, because I think he saw the long-term damage to the Republican Party of 
uh, of of doing this re- repeal and replace the way they were looking at doing it and decided the short-term damage was much better than the long-term damage. And I think because we're on health care, it's worth bringing up. There's bipartisan hearings this week on health care and the health committee. And they're legitimately bipartisan. I mean, the Republicans and Democrats came up with a list of witnesses together. There's Republicans and Democrats coming. I mean, it's going to be a pretty big deal, and it's going to happen sort of under the radar. And I think if you can count on two people to make it happen, you have somebody like Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray who've worked together on major pieces of legislation before. Not saying it's certain, but I'm going to say that, like, don't lose track of what's happening on health care because something's going to start to happen behind the scenes here. It's so sad that the measure of bipartisanship is that they were able to pick a, a witness list. You're totally right. I mean, it doesn't totally happen all right. the time. Right. It's, it's like a big deal, yeah. But, I mean, it's yeah. amazing, you know, how far we've fallen. Yeah. But this also is the alternative to repeal of Obamacare. This is more along the lines this of is gonna be fixing yes. Obamacare. And right. nobody's pretending that it's different than that. This is going to be CSR payments. This is going to be very around the edges type stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, though whether that will result in legis- ma- major legislation by the end of the year is still problematic. Of course. They right. just call it repeal and replace. Tell the president that's what they did. He'll Republicans can call it <laughs> repeal and replace. Democrats can call it fixes. Everybody's happy. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to, uh, uh, on, on DACA, we were talking a little bit earlier. Again, the six-month deadline is a arbitrary deadline for sure, right? Yes. And puts this deadline in into 2018 and right in the middle of the primary season. Well, right in the middle of the 2018 midterm elections. And like I said, those, right. Yeah, right. those red state Democrats, I mean, I think they're going to be in a tough position in places like North Dakota. I mean, voting for a, a Dream Act bill could be politically precarious. I think your Jeff Flakes are going to be in even more trouble. Although they're already on the record, right? Like Jeff Flakes already on the record. Yeah, but, I mean, it just makes it that much more of an issue right in yes. the midst of that campaign. Absolutely. I mean, it's already an issue. Like, President Trump was going to make it an issue. But this is a threat. Yeah. This is this is a – but the thing is, like, Trump won't support Jeff Flake or, or those folks anyway. I, I don't know. But what about Dean Heller? It seems like he and Dean Heller are getting along a lot better. And Dean Heller's from Nevada. There's a bunch of dreamers in Nevada. Soon I think. to be former Senator Dean Heller. I mean, I could be wrong. He could he could hold on there. But my guess is that that's, that's a seat that the Republicans will probably lose in this coming election. He's the most vulnerable of the Republicans, is he not? Yeah, I mean, he should be the only vulnerable Republican this time around, but there are other people who are – so there's the primary vulnerability of like a flake or somebody like that, but there are other people who might become vulnerable because of Trump who otherwise would not be vulnerable. Yeah, you said something about that your discussions with Republicans, that they're sort of – their patience has run out with Donald Trump? Well, I just think in the public comments that we've seen, it feels like their patience are running out. I mean, Bob Corker's comments during the recess were pretty on the nose and very specific and very pointed and not beating around the bush in any way. And I, I just am starting to feel like from conversations I'm having with aides that there's just a frustration with how are we expected to do anything when we're being attacked? Here's Corker. The president has not yet um, has not yet been able to demonstrate the stability uh, nor some of the competence that he needs to demonstrate in order to be successful. That's pretty damning. Yeah, that's not about uh, a disagreement on politics. No, that's about the core thing that you things that you need to be president of the United States and. Uh, 
I don't know a whole lot of people Donald Trump's age who have yet to demonstrate competence who suddenly start demonstrating competence. <laughs> you know, like that, that's not like that's not like he's seven years old and he's yet to demonstrate competence in the yeah, cockpit. Right. No. You know, um, <laughs> that's, he, that's, that is he's seventy years old after, and, or seventy one now, I guess. After those comments, uh, I uh, emailed Corker's spokesperson and I said, "Does Corker support the president for renomination in twenty twenty? Uh, and she wrote back and said, I've got nothing to add to what the senator said. Eight that's, or nine months that's in. Pretty, that's pretty telling. A Republican yeah. senator who supported the president. He wasn't like a big endorser or anything. He's played footsie with him, was possibly going to be secretary of state. Yeah, right. Will not say just straight out that he supports the free nomination. In 2006, when they were losing their races because of their proximity to George W. Bush, Republicans in the Senate and the House refused to distance themselves from him. They certainly would have said that he was, you know, a good president, a good man, stable, competent, whatever. These Republicans right now, if I were a reporter on the Hill, I've said this to a bunch of people lately, a bunch of reporters on the Hill. The first question I would ask every member when they come back is, every Republican member is, do you support the president for renomination? You have a story within 20 minutes, maybe within a minute. There you go, Lauren. Got it. Got my assignment for the day. There's your assignment. (laughs) Managing editor John Allen. That's great. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But you know, that would be a story because, yeah. And by the way, he's already running. He's already having campaign rallies. He's already raising money. Right. He's declared his candidacy for 2020. So it's not that. It's a reasonable question. Yeah. It shouldn't be, but it is. And it's eight months in. Right, that's what I mean. That's why it shouldn't be. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, you're so excited because your guys are coming home today. Uh, we'll let you get back to work. Lauren Fox, right. thanks for joining us. Thank John you. Allen, always good to have you here, man. Always good to be Thank here. Thank you so much. Love have a great this. day, folks. Come back tomorrow. Bill Press Show.